Attention people who still care on today's show. If you only knew the power of the light side of capitalism. But before we get into that, I first want to tell my backstory real quickly. In 2008, I was financially ruined. I felt powerless, uh, powerless to the circumstances that led up to the financial crisis and powerless to prevent a similar crisis to happen in the future. I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. I wanted to move past the trauma that was created from becoming financially ruined. So in 2008, I joined the Barack Obama presidential campaign, and I did feel like I had some power. I had a voice by helping Obama get elected. However, this feeling, it didn't last very long, and it was completely eroded by the time the 2016 presidential campaign uh, came along. And it made me realize that politics and politicians weren't going to solve this problem. They weren't going, it wasn't an avenue where I could feel like I was a part of something bigger than myself. And I certainly didn't feel healed from the trauma that was created eight years ago. Um, I remember reading a post on social media in 2016 uh, about how corporations are evil, which made me think, you know, corporations aren't evil. They're simply fulfilling their purpose. And their purpose is to maximize profits for their shareholders. Now, this got me thinking, well, it, it made me think about uh, the this constant pressure that corporations uh, feel to uh, increase their quarterly profits. It made me think about all the unethical behavior, all the exploitative acts that were committed because of this pressure to increase their quarterly profits. My next thought was, well, how come there aren't any corporations that have a different purpose? And so I kind of went online, I Googled it, and I, I soon discovered something called a social enterprise. Now, these are organizations that are designed to use business strategies to solve social problems. Now, I, I didn't know what to do with this information, but it, it stuck in the back of my head of, how well, maybe this is something I can be a part of, uh, to, to be something bigger than myself, the social enterprise movement. Well, I, I didn't really do anything uh, until four years later during the pandemic when, when that hit. Now I had some free time to, to do a deep dive in social enterprise. So I decided to do a limited series podcast called The Stakeholder Enterprise. And that's what I'm about to replay for you today. The first episode of this podcast of me exploring uh, the world of social enterprise. And when I went down this road, it uncovered some really unexpected things for me. So without further ado, here is the first episode of Stakeholder Enterprise. I don't participate in the national debate anymore because the one thing I've never heard anyone say is, I stand corrected. The only minds we have control over changing is our own. The very best we can hope with others is to inspire them. And the most effective way to inspire is with love authenticity 
and by creating an, an environment where people are willing to listen to what you have to say. If you're tired of all the blaming and political gridlock, if you're tired of waiting around hoping others will solve society's problems, if you're ready to take simple steps to make lasting change, you've come to the right place. Ready to be inspired? This is the Stakeholder Enterprise. Hello, I am your host, Paul Lovejoy. In this six-episode limited series podcast, we're going to be taking a look at the various market-based peer-to-peer solutions that are currently addressing income inequality, the lack of purpose and meaning in employment, and environmental pollution. So if you're looking to confirm your political beliefs, you won't find it here because I am not a Republican or a Democrat. I am not a liberal or a conservative. I am not a socialist. I am a stakeholder capitalist. So what does that mean? Capitalism is the most powerful economic system the world has ever known. It's a force, kind of like the force from Star Wars, where there's two sides. On the dark side, it's represented by greed, income, inequality, and corporate bottom line. And on the light side, we have prosperity and livelihood, innovation, and the stakeholder capitalist bottom line to all stakeholders. A stakeholder is any person, entity, or community that has an interest in the success of a business. So that can be the company's employees, the company's suppliers and vendors, its customers, shareholders and investors, and the community or communities that company serves. A stakeholder capitalist understand that it's in their own self-interest to participate in a free market economy that looks out for the well-being of others and the environment. In addition to that, a stakeholder capitalist doesn't impose their beliefs on others. That's what politicians and political solutions do. So let's talk about politicians for a moment. In 2021, Gallup released its results from the poll on the trustworthiness of various careers. And once again, members of Congress were at the very bottom of the list. When asked to rate the honesty and ethical standards of members of Congress, 63% of respondents gave the rating low or very low. This finding doesn't surprise me. But what I do find surprising is that even though Americans do not trust members of Congress, we continue to fund their campaigns. During the 2020 elections, small donors, donors that gave less than $200, spent $1.8 billion on congressional races nationally. That doesn't include what small donors gave to the presidential campaigns, to the state elections, or their local elections. Just congressional campaigns. In 2016, small donors 
gave three times less at $600 million for congressional campaigns. And here's the kicker. Researchers at Northwestern and Princeton universities wanted to find out how much political power these small donors actually have. And this is what they found. When small donors overwhelmingly are in favor of a law, that law has a 30% chance of passing. When small donors are overwhelmingly against a law, that law has a 30% chance of passing. When you compare it to large or corporate donors, when they have a significant majority and want a law passed, well, it will pass over 50% of the time. And when there is a majority between these large and corporate donors and they don't want a law passed, it doesn't pass over 70% of the time. The researchers found that small donors have a statistically non-significant impact on public policy, revealing that your vote counts when it comes to who gets elected, but it appears it doesn't count when determining which laws get passed. So a quick recap. Average Americans find members of Congress dishonest and unethical, yet we gave them $1.8 billion in the last election cycle. And what do we get in return? Well, a statistically non-significant impact on which laws are passed. From an investment advisory perspective, this is the worst investment you could possibly think of. You lose all of your principal and get zero return. So what do we do? How do we make an impact on public policy? Do we vote our representatives out of office? Well, according to the independent nonprofit Open Secrets, there are currently 449 former members of Congress who are either lobbyists or senior advisors for lobbying firms that go on to advocate for large and corporate donors. Do we post on social media with the hashtag, my voice counts? Or would we be just yelling into the void with no one listening? Do we continue to bury our heads in the sand and pretend like this problem doesn't exist? How about we just get discouraged and accept that to have an impact on public policy, we have to be a wealthy donor. As a stakeholder capitalist and a licensed investment advisor, my perspective is that the $1.8 billion that we donated to congressional campaigns in 2020 could be better allocated towards a market-based approach, such as community development investments that go towards things like early childhood education, workforce housing, and small business loans to disenfranchised and minority communities. I know of three online platforms where everyday retail investors can go on for as little as $10 to make one of these investments. All three of these platforms have never lost a single dollar of the investor's principal. 
and at the same time have provided a modest return. Investing is inherently risky, and past performance does not guarantee future results. But what's the riskier investment? Giving money to a political campaign or investing it in community development? This is just one example of a peer-to-peer solution. So why do we have this dependency on political solutions? First off, I think we need to define what exactly is a political solution, which is this. There are laws, regulations, and deregulations. But laws and regulations are only as good as the enforcement that can back it up. So a political solution at its core is to force a population to obey, whether you agree with the law or not. Just hearing myself say that out loud sounds pretty harsh, but imagine if you lived under a dictator or a couple hundred years ago lived under a monarchy or an emperor. It was pretty harsh. And even in democracies, where there is just a slight majority, and if you're that large minority, it could feel pretty harsh. Regardless if you are Republican or Democrat or fall somewhere in between, if you think politicians have too much power, then why demand political solutions from them? Why fund their campaigns? So let's define exactly what is a market-based peer-to-peer solution, which is this, using the free market and stakeholder capitalism to foster willful cooperation to solve problems. Political solutions serve an important purpose, to provide stabilized fundamental law and order with laws that are mostly self-evident. Over the years, there have been a number of important legislation and programs that our lawmakers have passed. A few that I support are the CDFI Act of 1994, the Head Start Act of 2007, and all the technology and innovation that came from DARPA. Political solutions are still needed. Humanity just hasn't evolved enough to willfully cooperate all the time. However, even really good political solutions face a sustainability problem. Think about all the billions of dollars and decades of time, effort, and energy that went into abortion laws or gun laws or banking regulations with no clear winner in sight. Think about the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that protected historically vulnerable minority voters from voter suppression. Well, in 2013, the Supreme Court struck down a key component to the law, which was viewed by many as gutting the act. When you're working on a peer-to-peer solution, you don't have the desire, let alone time, to protest or debate a proposed law. Instead, 
you're focusing your effort and energy on eliminating the demand for the law in the first place, working for a cure and not just a treatment. In the five remaining episodes, we're going to take a closer look at stakeholder capitalism and the four main market-based approaches, which are number one, social enterprise organizations that use business strategies to solve social problems. Number two, impact investing. Investing to generate both financial gain and positive measurable impact. Number three, circular economy. A way in which companies can be incredibly profitable and lucrative while being environmentally responsible at the same time. And number four, community development financial institutions. These are banks, credit unions, loan funds, and venture capital firms that serve disenfranchised and poverty-stricken communities. None of these approaches require government funding. They all survive in the free market environment. In this limited podcast series, not only will we be learning about these different market-based approaches, but also some of the leaders that have pioneered these solutions. Men and women such as a former sailor who held the world record for the fastest solo sailing voyage around the globe. An aeronautical engineer turned Zen Buddhist baker a group of activist investor Catholic nuns, and a former basketball apparel CEO. We're going to hear their stories and how they were inspired to act, how I was inspired by them, and hopefully you will be too. We are presented with an opportunity, an opportunity to engage in peer-to-peer solutions to have a direct, positive impact on public well-being, while at the same time having an indirect impact on public policy. This opportunity was presented to the world almost a hundred years ago by the Mahatma Gandhi. He wrote on politics, and I quote, If I seem to take part in politics, it is only because politics encircles us today like the coil of a snake, from which one cannot get out, no matter how much one tries. I wish, therefore, to wrestle with the snake." End quote. When it came to peer-to-peer solutions, he inspired the people of India to make their own clothes, to make their own salt. And if you couldn't, then to buy locally and not from imperial powers. He said, and I quote, if we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change, end quote. In other words, instead of trying to force the change we wish to see in the world, let's be the change we wish to see in the world. Gandhi helped lead the people of India to independence because he understood When we look to government to solve our problems, we empower politicians. But when we look within 
to solve our own problems, we empower ourselves. My name is Paul Lovejoy. Thanks for joining me. Stakeholder Enterprise is a limited series podcast and an activist investment advisory firm. Our mission, to create a community of financial activists and to guide them into reforming our unjust financial system by being the change they wish to see in the world so that the generation being born today will have a market-based economy that looks out for the well-being of ourselves, each other, and our planet's finite resources. If you'd like to discover the three steps to reforming our unjust financial system legally, ethically, and without confrontation, visit stakeholderenterprise.com.